Hi, everybody. I'm Wendy Murdoch, and this is Webinars with Wendy. We're rolling along here in 2021, and we're now into <laughs> April, which actually the middle of the month is the 15th. Um, we have more guests lined up. It looks like we'll probably be doing about three webinars a week because as we move into the springtime, everybody's getting busier. And um, we've got a couple of things cooking in my life that might make it a little more difficult for me to do as many webinars. But don't worry, we plan to continue. We're lining up more guests. If you have any suggestions, just pop us an email at info at murdochmethod.com with a link to your suggestion if you have one and we'll check it out and see if we can't wrangle some more guests. Today, my guest is Robin Hood. She's one of my favorite people. I haven't talked to her in a while, so I begged her to come back. And <laughs> it's like, this is how we sit in touch, right? Totally, <laughs> totally. Um, and so since it's springtime, um, some people may be having foals, some people may be dealing with yearlings and two-year-olds or thinking about getting their young horses started. So I thought it'd be a great time for Robin as a T-Touch trainer to talk to us about how using T-Touch, they prepare their horses to be handled, haltered, started, um, just it's kind of a general young horse uh, perspective. So thank you for joining me today, Robin. It's always great to see you. Yeah, it's fun to see you again, Wendy. <laughs> Thanks to COVID, right? <laughs> right, I know. It's like, uh, so somebody says their foal is now 28 years old. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> so, oh, well, you know, that's great. <laughs> yep. So Robin, um, just to give people a little bit of your background, I mean, it's you, you have worked with foals forever. I mean, because you were handling young horses way back when, when you were at the Pacific Coast. Um, yeah. So at the research farm and the, and the, and the um, when Linda had the school there, at, actually in Los Altos Hills, Linda had quite a few. We, we actually took the young horses, the Hungarian horses from Countess Bessonier. We we had most of the stallions there to work with. Um, and then we started all the the young horses would come to be started in California from Montana. And the thing is, it's interesting, you know, Linda has she started a program in the 60s and they actually had a column in Western Horsemen called Let's Ride. And when it was about endurance riding and actually working with young horses and so on. And they wrote a column to say that it was not necessary to have a horse buck when you started them. And, and Western Horsemen canceled the column. <gasps> Isn't that shocking? That is so shocking. I know. And so, and then in, I guess in the seventies, Linda started, she used to teach two day starting young horse uh, courses for amateurs at um, Cal Poly. And it, it didn't involve any kind of round pen. It just involved just, you know, basic handling, a little lunging, ground driving, quietly getting horses to that so that anybody could do this with their own horse to at least get it the preparation for starting. Because I think too often, you know, people send their horses to a trainer, they want these instant results in, you know, 30 days, which is nothing. And in the life of a 20, like a 28 year old, it's absolutely nothing. Right? It's nothing. Except and if it goes south. Exactly. And then it's because even from the time of foaling and we in for the last 45 years, I've had Icelandic horses. And one year we actually had 28 foals. <laughs> so I've had a little experience. Popping out one a day, right? foals. Yeah, so. <laughs> so, well, we had 200 horses here at one point. So it was, um, and some of them are easier than others. That's just how they come out, you know, and sometimes it has to do with their mother and, you know, they're doing 
some interesting studies about cellular memory. They're certainly doing them on people. And I, I totally believe that with, you know, four-legged animals, there's a huge amount of cellular memory that is carried forward in terms of their experiences. And uh, so, so it's, it's really interesting when you work with horses that you know the mother and father, and sometimes the father comes through really clearly, and sometimes the mother, it just, it's genetics are kind of an interesting thing. So, so Linda had, you know, she was just interested in, you know, we did lots of different ways of, of starting young horses, but primarily it's about being safe. It's about being kind and being effective. And, and I think that that's, and it's about if one thing doesn't work, instead of just doing more of the same thing, try to figure out something else, you know, change your approach. And that's really been the whole Tellington method is, you know, really based on chunking things into small pieces and helping animals to be successful and people be successful as well. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, I learned to start horses with you and Linda um, and I started several and, you know, it was, if anything, you might say it's boring because there is no excitement. And, you know, so many people think they're not capable of starting a horse, but when they send it to a trainer that does a bad job, yeah, it would have been better off staying home. So there's that piece. There's the sort of people that don't have the information or feel insecure about it. But, you know, what I, when I watch some of these clinics where they're starting horses, it's, they do all this stuff on the ground and then they just chuck the saddle on and turn the horse loose. And I'm like, wait a second, you missed 10 letters in there. And that horse will never be able to spell, stand quietly, no, you know, and never buck under <laughs> saddle. If you miss those letters, it's like trying to spell without yeah. the alphabet. Um, yeah, I've, totally. I've, I've always found it fascinating that mindset that it's, that that's okay. Um, and what I found with team, and I'll just say this and then I'll let you kind of explain to people what you do is it's like creating an alphabet for the horse. And you give them each of the letters and then you spell, start with single syllable words, walk, trot, you know, and then walk and trot or um, circle. That's two, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's, it's, it's like C-spot run, but it's teaching a language and it's making sure that all the pieces of the language are present, all the letters are present. So you can build simple sentences, then more complicated sentences, then really flourishy paragraphs, but it's because they have all the letters available to them. Yeah, that's a great way. That's actually a great way to describe it. Yeah, it's really, that's really, really helpful. And, you know, I've, I mean, you met a horse that I have here that I was given because he was started in a way that she started all her other horses, which, you know, worked for all these other horses, um, you know, she put a saddle on and, and kind of noticed that he was a bit quiet when she did that. Um, you know, there's too quiet, you know, that freeze when horses go into it because explode comes after that. And she, you know, starts her horse in a round pen and she put her horse in and then this horse, then the stirrups dropped and the horse ran for 30 minutes. And he, he was one of probably of, I would say the, the most tense horse that I've ever actually worked with and it from tense to absolutely explosive. And so we, we made lots of progress with him. He's, you know, I still have, he's still in the past year. We we've done, you know, we can catch him, trim him, um, do things with him. I haven't really had much 
COVID, I've been working on online courses rather than working with horses. So I, I decided that this year is going to be his year to see if I'm going to videotape it. I bought a Pivo and I want to just Ooh, videotape yeah. all the work that I do with him. And just to to see he's come he's come a long way. He's a sweet horse. But man, that first start. And I'm not saying that he was easy to start with. That's the thing. A lot of a lot of signs were missed. Yeah. Because, and you know, other horses that she started the same way had no problem. So there is that to it. You know, you have to kind of consider that. Um, and you know what you have to realize is with who knows what that horse's parents were like, what his birth was like, what his environment was like before he got started. However, hmm. by missing those signs and then having such a trauma that is in, that will never leave his brain. You yeah. might be able to make it, uh, you know, like I always think of the kitchen tool that you get and you want it higher on the shelf till you move it to the other room in the pantry and you don't use it, but it's still there right. and, it, and it can be triggered um, in the, in certain, and certainly I know a little bit about him that I know what a trigger would be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, there, you can't a hundred percent trust that that will never happen again because it is there. And when it's like the horse that learns to buck, because they didn't take the steps. That's what I see is that people actually are teaching their horses to buck instead of the horse never considering it because they had all the letters. They, the process of being tacked up was done in such a way that it was understood, it was comfortable, it wasn't frightening, it wasn't painful, and they weren't abandoned, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think yeah. that abandonment is a huge piece of it. It's here you go. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Well, and you know, for, and there's one of, I have a little piece of video to show, and there's a couple of horses on here that are from um, a ranch in Montana, the Bitterroot Ranch, where we went for, I think for 28 years, we went there and did starting young horse clinics. The last few years, it just didn't work out uh, to be able to do it. But uh, my daughter, Mandy was there for two years, I think. And they, so all the horses got started in the starting young horse week, and then she would carry on with them kind of slowly. They're all four-year-olds. Um, occasionally we started working with a three-year-old, but they're not backed until they're four. And, and the reason that we started going there is when um, Mel started to breed, she wanted to breed Arabs. She loved Arabs and she, you know, bred some horses. She had her first horse ready to be started, took it to a local um, trainer and, um, did what the person, you know, normally did. And she was there watching the saddling. This horse got the saddle on and flipped over backwards and broke its neck. Oh dear. Yeah. So it's like, there are, there are accidents can happen, but to me, that's, you know, it, and, and the person did the best that they knew based on their experience and so on. But that was so, you know, terrible experience. And so she wanted to find something else. And so her husband went online and probably not online, went through articles at that time because it was a long time ago and and found Linda. And so we started doing our, our courses there. First, we started with our we started them as advanced trainings for our practitioners. And then we started them. We just opened them up. And, um, you know, man, there's there were horses that were started in that way that were being used, you know, 13, 14, 15 years later, still in the program and to get Arabs to be able to be in a program. They're very careful how people ride them and, and the level of, you know, competency and so on, but still it's, you know, it's a, uh, it's, it's not an easy job having different riders all the time. No. So, so um, you know, but you bring up a good question and I know we're kind of like 
um, going a little ahead of the timeline, if you will. But, you know, so many people want to start their verses at two and three. Um, and I, I just recall Sunig's book that he said he didn't start his verses until they shed their coat in their six-year-old year. Um, wow. And it, that doesn't, doesn't mean that you've ignored them and left them in the field till they're six. It just right. means that the idea of carrying weight and the more we learn about the horse's skeleton and how <laughs> the, when the plates close and everything else, you know, the pelvis doesn't fully close until they're six. So if I we're know. loading a lot of weight, think of a smaller quarter horse with a larger guy on a Western saddle, yeah. that's a lot of weight on their back that could set them up for difficulty later on because your body is malleable at those younger ages and could potentially be damaged in a way that's not gonna actually get better because it happened during growth. Um, and yeah. people seem to be in such a hurry to get their horses under saddle early. Um, I know my horse, Al, who's a Clyde thoroughbred cross. I mean, he was, he was started when I got him. He was supposed to be five and a half. He turned out to be three and a half. <laughs> um, and he spent his first six months eating with his head in a round bale. I didn't see his head. Um, <laughs> You know, but you know, I would ride him lightly on the trail, but he couldn't do a 20 meter circle in a standard small dress arch arena, right? Yeah. <laughs> he couldn't. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I mean, spent, I trailered him, I took him places, I took him on hacks. Um, but really, we didn't start his training until he was six because he just couldn't do it. He wasn't mature mentally or physically. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, yeah. It's huh? a problem, you know, year, how many years ago did Deb Bennett write the article about looking at when all the plates closed, the pelvis at six, the pole at five and a half or six, something like that, the same thing. That was years ago. And it takes people so long. And my, I, what I think is, and what I say to people, if they have a young horse is, yes, just do, you can ground drive them. That's what we used to do with the, the young thoroughbreds that we had in California. And also the, um, the Hungarians is they would, um, you know, they could ground drive from a halter only, not a bit, because that is, you know, that's much more advanced work with the weight of the reins and so on. And they they knew all sorts of things. They just weren't ridden. And I, what I say to people, see, I think it's the economy, the, the economics of it, of yes. raising a horse to a certain age. And so if I say to people, how long do you want to have this horse? You know, like, is this a lifetime horse for you or is this a turnover horse? And if it's a horse that you, you want to have for a long time, when you leave that time on the front end, you get, you get way more time on the back end in terms of, of the horse's lives. And we have horses that, uh, we have many horses in their twenties that we, that we are using and they're going strong. And in Iceland, it's unfortunately they've started them earlier because of the evaluations. You start them at, at three, basically, which I think is, is, you know, too early. But years ago, I remember at the world championships, uh, there was a horse that was uh, 21 and he won the pace race and set a record for pace. And he hadn't been, he didn't start to pace till he was 17. So, at, which is amazing. And then there was another horse that also was 20 and also at 20 and in the high teens. I mean, how many, there aren't that many horses that are at a world-class level that are competing for so, you know, so many years. And I think it was because they waited, you know, they didn't at that point, they didn't start them really till they were 
at, at least four. And our horses are four when they're started, but they're often just ridden really lightly. And, and sometimes I've started, I've had actually horses that I started at 15 because <laughs> when we started them with, well, this is the year that we had the 20 foals, we had, we had uh, several very, very difficult young horses. So we started them and like they would freeze and they were not very easy temperament wise. So we did a little bit and then we said, look, we have a lot of other horses in the pasture. We want to make safe horses. So we worked on those horses. 15, the horse is 15, Mandy goes, you know, I think we ought to start him again. <laughs> it was no problem. I swear the horse was just like, he just kind of remembered everything that he'd been taught before. He became a complete easy, like a, a beginner's horse. So, so easy. It was, you know, this brings up such a good point because I think so many people are afraid to leave their horses because they're going to be more difficult when they're older. Yeah, exactly. And it's just, and it's, you know, so, and then other people have the, I want to grow up with the, the horse syndrome, like a dog, but you have to realize that a dog, um, Suzanne Clothier said this to me is the amount of development a dog goes through from birth to the first year is absolutely mind blowing. Yeah. And, and they don't live. They live to 15 as a very old dog. Yeah. So their aging process is so much more rapid. But with horses, if we want our horse to be rideable into their 20s, and that's my goal, because Al's already 18 or 19, I kind of lost track. Yeah. Um, you know, we have to think about that. We have to change the mindset that just because it's young doesn't mean it has to do all of these things to be ridden if it's done badly in pain and frightened or doesn't understand because we're setting patterns into that brain that are frightening, that are painful. And so that's what the horse is going to carry through in their life is this is unpleasant. This is painful. This is difficult. I don't understand versus giving them a little bit of information, giving them some time to process, coming back later, seeing how it percolates, not worrying about how old they are because they didn't, they didn't used to worry about, you know, you know, but, but also doing things with them. And this is the other piece that I'd love you to talk about is that how much is a reasonable amount to work with a foal or a yearling or a two-year-old in terms of the time in a day and then over like a week. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, yeah. yeah. and that is pretty individual, but I, uh, what I say to people is less is more for sure in terms of it. We don't realize the, the brain has the ability to take on maybe two or three new things at a time if we're lucky and as soon as you go past that, it just like is on overload. And I, I feel like, you know, the, the comment that you made, first of all, about if they get too big, you know, they're too difficult. And I've heard lots of trainers say that. And what I would say is find another method. If you have to only have yeah, like horses small so that you can physically, you know, out sort of muscle them, although you still can't, but you know what I mean? That because right. they're balanced and so on and so forth, then I think you should question your method. Cause I certainly, as a child, I started as a six-year-old, I started lots of ponies, you know, because we just get on and we kind of ride around and it's not a big deal. And you build a relationship with them. And, and I think that that's, I know, you know, many young people that have started horses and they go on to be fabulous horses that will do everything for them. So I think it, it's, it is, um, it's individual in terms of the, the length of time that we work with them. Um, and 
I what I feel like is if you're not doing the same thing over and over again, because I, I think repetition is gets to a point where if they're not getting it and they don't have the time to process, they look to find different things to do because they're not sure what you want. If you don't, you know, it's if you don't give them that sort of ABC and you can you can see in um, the you'll see in some of the a couple of the videos, sort of the approach that we uh, took with this a three, a three week old that had never been handled. Um, a few years ago, I was in Australia and I went to a really nice warm bed place where they, they halter all their horses quietly when they're young, but they were six to eight weeks old and we rehaltered all of them and using just the, the techniques we use where we're not, you don't put them in a corner. You don't, Pressure. you know, it's a step-by-step thing so that they actually really get that. And it was it was quite interesting to see the variation of the um, personalities of the horses and how they uh, sort of the expectation of um, of the haltering. But it can be done and redone at any age. And I also will use this technique with horses that are actually quite difficult to catch and halter is just go backwards and and go back these steps. And I've ended up doing that with, you know, a number of young horses that have come to courses with halters on because they couldn't take the halter off or they couldn't catch them. And I remember one horse that somebody thought, oh, well, you know, Robin will be able to rehalter it. Let's just take the halter off. And, you know, it's, it's not like magic. And so, and then the horse got out of his pen. He was in a, you know, a, like a, you know, 12 by 12 foot pipe corral, got out into this big pasture without a halter on. Oh, it was interesting. So anyway, we had to figure out what to do. So we just just quietly kind of herded him back into the pen, you know, just with a bit of food and then just quietly walking him. And then I went through the process. I would have rather had the halter on so I could go backwards and then go forwards, if if you know what I mean. But it is what it is. <laughs> what it is. Sometimes they think yeah, they're doing so, you a favor, right? Yeah. So sure. So so um Somebody, there is somebody who has an eight month old foal and they've never handled a foal before in Virginia. So we do have someone on that okay. is very inexperienced. Okay. So I'm going to, I'll, I'll share the screen and I'll go through this PowerPoint and I will, um, I'm, I'm assuming that this horse has been, obviously is led and, and handled and so on. My question would be, does the horse live with other horses or, cause I think how horses are raised is also super important. Um, yeah, and so, she didn't say. So, um, Sharon, we, if you want to tell us if your foal is with other foals, um, that that would be helpful. Um, you know, socialization within their own species is so so important. It is so important. It and is. There's, there's rules that you know mares can lay down that we could never lay down in a way that the horses understand because they're a horse and we're a person. Exactly, <laughs> and I never want a horse to think I'm another horse. Right. That's and of, and of course they don't, or he's a person. And that's the thing with, if you have, uh, have to have bottle raised foals, some of the most dangerous foals I've had to work with were bottle raised foals. Yes. We've had a few that we had to bottle raise, but we were able to keep them with another mare and foal. So when we had to supplement <clears throat> food for them, um, they still had the interaction and that, that did make a difference. Um, they never ended up dangerous, but I've seen other, I've seen some other horses that, 
I, I was really, really dangerous to handle. Yep. Uh, so I had originally done this with puppies in mind for this for a summit in Russia. So um, we just talk about this, like the method that we use can be used on mares and foals. It can be used great through pregnancy, um, right through birth and throughout the lifespan. So with pregnant mares, and this is also a time people may have mares in um, foal, belly lifts with either a towel or even a wide elastic bandage can <clears throat> take so much pressure off the spine. And with, with human mothers that are uh, pregnant, I've gone from behind and actually done belly lifts with, with a wrap underneath the belly, it brought so much relief off the back. I mean, incredible uh, relief off the pressure because everything's being pulled forward. Um, the ear T-touch can be helpful during foaling. After foaling, I've found that for letting the milk down and with mares that are not letting go of the afterbirth and it's, you're just either waiting for the vet or you're just, you're on that cusp and the vet saying, just, you know, let's wait, you know, X amount of time before I come. I found that that can be helpful in helping the release the afterbirth. And the same with touches around the tail uh, can also help with the back um, during pregnancy. The other thing that the belly lifts are good for is as you go back toward the flank, if you have a maiden mare, they can be super sensitive in the flank area. So when the foal goes to nurse, um, they may either reject the foal or be really uncomfortable and the milk doesn't let down. And so doing lifts around just really paying attention to the, uh, to the mare, but doing lifts around the flank area at just that slow, slow release uh, can help so much when um, with the foals, particularly either with mares that have trouble with that or with maiden mares. Um, so just sorry, to, go ahead. To go yep. back to working with uh, pregnant mares. We've had um, a few people now that have contacted me and they've put their pregnant mare on sure foot pads and the mares love it. Uh, they would be, it'd be fantastic. And of course this is, you know, we didn't use, have the surefoot pads at the time when we had a lot of foals, but it would be fantastic to help just help them let go. Well, cause with people, we know that people that you have any sort of back pain or stress standing on the different, um, the di various uh, densities can make such a big difference. And what I'm curious about, I had, I can't remember now who, who messaged me, but I'm curious what the foal will be like if the mother has been standing on surefoot pads because of all the hormones that are going to be flowing to that, that foal, right? Yeah, so yeah. If you do have any pregnant mares again, see what, hap see what happens. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. A great point. And I think Bess, Bess has been using them on um, her foals too, yes. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, working with foals, it's important that the handling is mindful and, you know, for a lot of years, the, you know, imprinting kind of became a thing that uh, people did. And I personally am not a fan of flooding because that's kind of what it is. And I always want the mother to uh, the foal to bond with the mother first. I think first and can foremost, you can you define the word flooding? Flooding is repetitive, uh, doing something until there's absolutely no response. So in other words, so, so for instance, if you want to get them to desensitization through just this re repetitive, just doing the same thing over and over again, whether it's patting your horse, whether it's patting their feet, whether it's tapping, whatever it happens to be, um, is, and I, and I've worked with a number of foals that were 
that were imprinted. And I have to say they were, they were not easy. They weren't, they weren't, um, what, what's the word? Uh, they, they, they were not, it wasn't that they were horrible, but they were so evasive about everything because they had found ways to kind of avoid things. And I think handling is one thing. And most people will say to me, who tell me, oh, I've imprinted my fall. I asked them what they actually did. They did not imprint. They just handled the fall mindfully. You know, they just handled mm. the fall quietly. And is a huge difference in my experience in terms of, uh, in terms of doing that. And and I believe that the first experiences can become their default response. Absolutely. Um, which leads me to the, to, um, so many people want to talk about desensitizing their horse. Yeah. And in, in my perspective, my 16, two hand, 1500 pound Clyde Mm. thoroughbred cross, I can go at, and he's like, Oh yes, ma'am. Because he's sensitive and he's responsive. Whereas the 14 two hand Welsh cob that I think may have been imprinted eh, doesn't get it. It's like, you have to be so loud. So I don't understand the concept of desensitizing because I want my horse to be sensitive to the aids, to my body language, to my position. Yeah. And so it, to me, it's such a confusing term to talk about desensitizing. I agree 100%. And what I say to people, cause they'll say, Oh, you're just, you're desensitizing. And what I like to say is I want to familiarize an animal to something so that they accept it and they're comfortable with it. Not that they put up with it, not that they shut down to put up and then sort of explode. So it's, and I feel that that's quite, quite a different approach to things than thinking about doing something over and over and over until you get no response because yeah, who wants that insensitive, you know, insensitive kind of horse. And, um, and I think then one of the challenges that, that I personally have seen is that if you have a horse that has been um, de- has been imprinted, has been what I call overhandled too, is that when they go to a trainer, if they go to a trainer who uses methods that base that that actually are more based on um, kind of instinctive responses, like if they and I watched this horse at one of the um, one of the expos very handled young horse, very connected to their people be put into a round pen and the horse, they were trying to chase it around. The horse didn't know what to do. So the horse started kept coming over to them. So they kept escalating it. The the mare, she actually started to go into a very primitive response of showing heat. Wow. And I think she just didn't know what to do because it wasn't in her wheelhouse of being handled in that way. You know, so I, I, I was just, it was, it was interesting. So, 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 um, so if, if I could summarize this a little bit, there's no handling, meaning the horse is left to its own devices, hopefully in a herd, yeah. learns horse behavior. There's overhandling where, and in the case of imprinting, as I understand it, handling that foal from the moment it's born all over the place but yeah. then it's not connecting to its mother. And I actually had the experience. I inadvertently did that with a horse once. I will never forget it. And I will, you know, it will always remind me of the danger of even kind touching, but interfering with the mayor's bonding with the foal. Yeah. yeah. And then there's sort of the middle, which is some contact with the foal, but allowing it to be a horse and teaching it to be teaching it the skills that it's going to need in life in a measured way. Yeah. 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 Hmm. 
Yeah. You know, and, and so the desensitizing, when I hear people use that word and flooding is the word that's actually coming in now where the, the, the nervous system has been overloaded. The horse can't learn, but you know, when we think about teaching people, hmm. we, we don't flood them with information. Some people do, but yeah. then those people <laughs> yeah. freeze, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. For, for, yeah, no, there's, there's no question, no question about that. Uh, and, you know, I, to be honest, it, if I had my, if I had my choice, I'd actually rather work with a, an underhandled young horse than an overhandled one. Yes. Just because you have to sometimes end up being, and we've, you know, we've had a, a few, we sold a few mares in foal and, and they, people had the foals and listen, foals are so cute. And, um, and so, and the foals started to get, you know, quite pushy. And so then you have to be hard on them. And it seems so unfair that you kind of change the rules as the game goes on. And, and so I'll often say to people, look, you, you don't want to do anything with a young horse that, or let them do something that wouldn't be okay when they're older. And you see it sometimes with minis, you know, people picking them up and having them be in their lap and, and all those sorts of things. Well, I think you just have to be careful with that sort of situation. And if, if the horse ends up being um, really difficult, just don't blame the horse. You know, that's what I would say anyway. Well, the thing is in the end, we're supposed to be the ones doing the training. And if it's a difficult horse, we have to find other means. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. So it's, diff it, it's a little difficult. I saw that in the chat, the person with the foal, she's the only foal. Um, and you know what, sometimes that's what circumstances happen. That's there, you know, there's things that we, we can't, we can't control. The one thing I find a little challenging sometimes in terms of you keep talking about the herd and the group dynamics is if you have an only foal and they, don't have like sometimes they have other horses but the other horses either really bully them or they are completely or they never set any boundaries for them mm. and if they totally bully them what i have seen happen is that those foals often grow up being bullies because they never had an opportunity of having kind of an equal you know like that give and take relationship rather than a pyramid and so that's the advantage like if the person with the foal could could for at some point find a safe situation that her her horse could be with a, a young horse about the same age and you know the same sort of style mares and colts play quite differently mm -hmm. so that there there's a, a you know you can see in the pasture which are mares and which are full or, or fillies and which are colts when you, when you have a group of them and so um that can be so beneficial in terms of them just in their you know, in sort of in raising, it's not always possible, but if it is, it's, it's a great thing to do. Um, so I'm just going to, maybe this will go down now. Yeah. She says the full crowds and she wants her to be better behaved in the barn. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So it, part of the crowding in my experience is that physical, emotional, and mental imbalance. So as they grow, we don't, we don't mean to, but we accidentally sometimes put them out of balance in our handling and then they crowd us. And so we're kind of annoyed with it and so on. And, you know, the word respect has comes up so often in the horse world and um, the root definition of the word respect is to look again. Hmm. 
And, and, and that is not what most people actually think about respect. So it's re-looking at the situation rather than, you know, making a judgment about what it is. So I'm going to just show this. Uh, I'll just put this through. It's a it's a video we did. We put it together uh, photographs. And this was at uh, the Bitterroot Ranch. Can you just and, move your pointer because the little hand. Oh, yeah, sorry. Thanks, that's okay. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. So this was a three-week-old Arab filly completely unhandled and and you know their horses aren't afraid but you can see she's high-headed she's tight in the neck tight in the tail and so we took her into a, an enclosed space not a like a, a rectangle and I started using the wands with her and I was able to use the the mother as I could reach across and I start in the air first and then I kind of work around and you do a bit and then you stop and you do a bit and you stop so it's not continually and what I'm looking for is the engagement. I let her nurse. I do a little, then I, as I can comfortably get closer to her, I do some touches with the wand. I do tons of pauses with this filly, just stepping back away from her and letting her kind of move around to see, is she starting to be interested in me? And that, that engagement is so important. She can constantly move. I'm never going to chase her. And I'm always going to make sure that she has an exit route. And so I'm looking to find something that she finds enjoyable, but without triggering that, you know, she's going to scratch me response because that's not really helpful. Um, so then I put a, a body rope on and I put a body rope on a horse before I put a halter on them because I want them to have a a better sense of um, the, the work front to back. And so I start on the neck, I drop it around the neck and then I actually step away so that if she needs to move and needs to come off, she can take it off. I don't really care. So then I start, it's kind of like having a butt rope, but if you have it on the front and back, you can kind of contain the whole uh, body. They can turn and halt and, and end up being in balance rather than being like a fish on the end of a line. And we actually, um, we actually uh, trim all our, our foals with just a body rope on if they've never been handled. Now we handle them a little bit more, we did. So then we use another catch rope to make the, um, to go around the neck for the halter, but I, I, I actually just use it around the neck to move her without it being on her head. And um, it's, it doesn't tighten it. It's clipped to a ring. So it's not going to tighten around the, around the neck anywhere. And uh, you can see that she's lowered her head. And then we move the mare a little bit. So she actually starts to learn um, to be able to move. And th this was quite a sensitive bear. I worked with her as a yearling as well. So I start with the back of the hand. It's much less threatening than the palm. I do a little bit and take my hand away, step away, let her sort of process the experience. And I look to find out where she's most comfortable being touched to start with. And I'm not pushing her head down to lower her head. I want her to be able to lower it because she's comfortable with it. And then again, she starts to engage and I'm using the back of my fingers to do that. 
Now, I want to be able to touch them all over the face before I put a halter on them rather than, you know, I want them to put their nose into the halter, not me have to find their nose with the halter. And that little hand on the opposite side of the cheek is just to say, could you come with me? And again, no downward pressure at all. It's just doing some touches along her neck. About how long was the whole session, Robin? Uh, 20 minutes, but with lots of, you know, lots, lots of, of pauses. Yeah, lots of just stepping back and letting her just kind of have a nurse, move around. And let her check me out. You know, it's only fair. I'm doing a lot to her. You know, <laughs> can she check me out? I did a little bit... Um, a touch around her mouth. And then I did a little, just asked her to come forward, but you see the posture is so different than it was when we, uh, when we started. And then I wanted to be able to, you know, touch her around the ears and her pole. A lot of foals are super, super tense around that area, especially when they're have that high headed posture that is kind of inherent. Can I do a little bit of, uh, touch on her ears. And I, I'm not holding her to me, you know, it's just, it's, it's just like a little connection with the, with the line. And somebody's noticing that her mother looks very relaxed with the whole yeah. idea. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah. Super important as well. And I wanted to do just, you know, the mouth is, they protect their mouth a lot. That's how they get food. So I just wanted to be able to do a little bit of touch around the mouth. <laughs> she's really cute. I know she's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she was willing to just kind of rest her chin in my hand. And, and the mouth work, of course, is great for horses that are difficult to deworm. So a, a lot of it is finding out where are the areas that they're comfortable and where are the areas that they're not comfortable. And don't work more on the areas that they're not comfortable. Go somewhere else and come back to it. And I, I kind of do a little, kind of little scratch, just a little scratch up just below the knee at the back. And I, I really like them to just be able to pick up a foot and put it down and pick up a foot and put it down. I don't hold it. I just want to say, can you just shift your weight onto three legs? Just even for a moment. And what we found with foals is that some have a much easier time starting on the hind feet than they do on the front feet. So with my farrier, he, we would just tell him which one it was that was easiest for the horse and he would start there. She doesn't look too stressed by the whole thing. No. So then I'm gonna put a halter on, but rather than put a halter, I'm gonna use the catch rope to make a huge loop that I can quietly put over her nose 
and take it off. Because she's like, that feels weird. Of course, it feels, you know, it feels very weird. But I actually want horses to know that when we start something, they don't have to do something to make a stop. Mm-hmm. That we're, we're actually going to stop. And then it's the same with getting on horses. We get on and we get off. We want them to know that it's, you know, everything we do will end. Well, and that's just, you know, I always tell people horses can't tell time. They don't know when you start something that it's going to, you might know that you're going to stop, but yep. they're in the present. They don't know unless you stop. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So mostly, so we're, I'm leading her with the body rope. I'm not, there's no pressure on the halter. And that's really important because horses can so uh, quickly react. And uh, I've seen people get horses going over backwards so easy. So this is when I put the halter on, you see that her head is quiet and I want her that she's not throwing her head up when I put the halter, that she actually kind of drops her nose into the halter. And it's huge and a lot of weight because that's the other thing. As soon as we put something on their head, we change their balance. And that's what people don't, recognize. And I always use a line on the side of the halter with young horses or horses that don't lead easily or forward rather than underneath. So it doesn't force the head up. It helps to encourage the head to be um, quiet. Webbed halter. Yes, absolutely. That's the only thing I would use. Um, And so then I took everything off and I ended and she was still willing to um, it really engage with me. And that's the whole thing is, of course, everything is stressful, but look at the difference in her posture from when she came in to when she um, came out. So, you know, and and so there now she's walking back to the pasture with her mother, but not really um, so concerned with things. So it was, um, it was really, um, it was a really nice experience actually to work with her and, uh, it's, it is so much fun. I've worked, done this with so many, so many folds that um, it's, it's a great experience to do, <laughs> to do this with. I, I actually was once in Texas at a big, big demo years and years ago. And they, these people bring me a six month old quarter horse uh, uh, that foal with its mother that had never been handled. So they, and it's at this huge arena and they, they had to, 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 they were late because it took hours to get this foal in the trailer. Like with our foals, they go in the trailer with their mother from, depending on their age, from a month old to like a few months old and they, they're moved from pasture to pasture. So going in the trailer is always a positive experience. They get, they're not leaving home for the first time, you know, like after being there for four years or whatever. Um, they, so it's not a big deal. They go in, they go out, they go to nice places. It's a, you know, it's a nice situation. Um, so they bring this full and the only place they had me to work was a 24 by 12 foot pen, which is too big when you have a, horse that's totally not handled because what are they going to do they're going to start going fast and I don't want that so I uh so I'm I'm like thinking to myself hmm not sure how this is going to go but I uh I did a little bit before lunch maybe 20 minutes and he this this foal was pretty um pretty wild of course he's been put in a trailer gone to a new place it's noisy it's a big coliseum and so on and I left him and then I came back and you know like some kind of miracle happened in between the morning and the afternoon. And, you know, I, I was able to quietly halter him and it was, it was the break. It was the not doing too much in the morning. 
that's for me, it's, and it's so hard for people to stop. You know, right. it's so hard if, if, if it's, and, and especially in front of a big group, because, you know, you feel embarrassed, you feel a certain amount of pressure to do it and, and so on. And I just kind of said to myself, well, and I said to everyone, I said, I don't know how this is going to go. I, I, you know, I really don't. So I'm going to do a little bit and then we're going to carry on and see, see what happens. So uh, not easy to do though. And I totally no. understand why people like end up pressuring things because they feel like they need to make a performance. And it's, in my opinion, one of the reasons that these, you know, whatever they're called, the starting horse clinics in, or the ones that they do at these expos are horrible for horses. You know, these five 30 minute sessions and they're supposed to have the horses going under saddle, walk, trot, canter, doing all these things. Uh, I just think it's not a good thing for horses. So um, this, this is a little video of a filly. Um, I think she's a new forest filly. And when she was small, uh, somebody very helpful said, here, I'll get a halter on. So they put a halter on her and then she was very nervous to start with. And then they couldn't get it off. And so she came and we had a stall. She didn't have any stall to work in where she was and so on. So we put the mare in full in the stall. This is the second session uh, because, and it's not great photography because it's through bars and so on. Um, the first thing I did after I did the wands, like I did with the foal is I, um, I took the halter off her. In that case, I just wanted to get the halter off her because it was really tight on her and obviously not very comfortable. So this is the second day and um, I'm using the back of my hand to do touch on her face. And at, by this time I've, I've got a little body rope on her and that's how I, I started the day before. <clears throat> And I'm just using my other hand to just kind of contain her head. It's not holding it, but just sort of say, could you stay with me? And uh, so, so that one ear was super, super, super sensitive to her. You can see that really, really tight. So I, you know, I kind of disengage and she can certainly move if she needs to. She's not tight. This was a little difficult. Now this is tough. So if I go from the back of my hand to the front, that's when she's changed to the, the response. So, so Robin, do you think the back of the hand is more akin to the mayor's muzzle? Um, I'm not sure. I, if, if you even touch someone, a person on, on their back with the back of your hand, they can feel it's that it's different than the palm. Like there's there's less heat. There's less feeling that you could be grabbed. Right. And, and that's a, that's a huge thing is not, um, not, you know, obviously being able to grab them now. I, so I worked, I, I worked this Philly, um, I think, uh, six sessions altogether, pretty short sessions. And this is, a uh, I'm not sure what this is. Uh, I'm just not sure exactly when this was. I think I'd put the halter on her with the rope halter. Uh, and I, I think a couple of times I'd done it. So now I've think I'm to the point. I think you're going to get to see her in just a second. Uh, so what I've done is I've got just a line around her neck at this point. So I can just see on a little ask and release and it's on the release that they move, not on the pressure. Um, can I get here now if the mother would move I think she does move you'll see how I actually 
yeah, put the halter on her. Now, the first day you couldn't touch her anywhere on her face. So you see, I just kind of put it on and then I take it off. I, you know, I want her, I just want her to know, I want to be able to do it slowly. I want to do it just quietly so she doesn't feel uh, stressed. Now she's got, yeah, she just took a big mouthful of hay and that's okay. I want her to be able to have that now. So she's super sensitive across the top of the pole. So I, I bring it around rather than throwing it around or flipping it around. And then I just do it up really quietly. And you could see from that little burst forward that there still was some anxiety there. Totally, totally. But, you know, the, and I think I think she was six or seven months old still with her mother, but that was just fine um, because it would have been a nightmare to take her away in this case. So I'm just using this uh, the catch rope around her neck to actually move her rather than um, from the halter. Her mother's really helpful with this. Yes, I've noticed. Yes. And then I put it on. But you see, she gets quieter and quieter with having the halter go on. And I, I didn't leave it on when, he, when she went out. And then I'm going to ask her to move. So I got a little ask and release. <clears throat> and of course, it's important that that's not going to tighten around her neck. It's just a, if there's a ring in it. So it just moves it. So, so it's only a loop, really. Yeah, it's just a loop. And then I just take it off really quietly. And I want her to just be able to stand quiet. But her neck was just like crackly when you you could just feel like it just that well, that high headed tense posture that she had. Um, the challenge with this halter is it had no rings on the side. So we had to make a we sort of jerry rigged something that we could use. So I think this is the third day. And I wanted to get to being able to pick up her feet because she hadn't had her feet trimmed. And so I don't put anything on her head, but I have, a, I'm connected to her with a line around her neck. And um, I found a place that she was comfortable with a little bit of scratching. So I did a little scratching and then I picked up her hind feet. Her, her hind feet were, were um, easier to do it, but not having anything on their head is much easier for a horse to pick up their feet especially if, because you don't have something imbalancing them, a, a horse that's unbalanced. Which are so, a lot of horses. Which are lots of horses, yeah. She's having a good scratch on her mother. I'm giving her a little scratch on her chest. <clears throat> See, I, I, I wanted to find places that really a pleasant reward for her to, to, you know, make it worthwhile to do something with me. Why should she care about me? Right. I mean, who am I to her? Well, but you've, <laughs> you've been so clear about your boundary that it's, you're get, doing something nice for her, but it's not a, something that needs to be reciprocated. Exactly. Exactly. And you see, she's really interested in the, you know, the halter is not something that she's shying away from. It's a shame I didn't have video the first day, but that's the way it is, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's no, I, I totally. <laughs> and really, the amount of time that I worked with her totally over three, three days, six sessions, three days, uh, might have been an hour, maybe an hour and 10 minutes, something like that, because we had to get them in and out of the stall. And, um, 
I, I wanted her to ha- I wanted her to have enough short experiences that she could actually start to realize that humans were not just going to uh, put her in the corner and 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 do something. And I don't want as as you like she can sniff me. It's totally OK. She sniffs me because I'm not going to say you have to I'm not going to shoo her away, but I'm not going to let her mug me. You know, it's like here's the the space. And and that's a hard one to do sometimes with foals because they do want to be friendly, but then they get overly friendly. And that's the little bit of the challenge that yeah. uh, that happens sometimes. Stay you know? little. That's the problem. That's right. They don't <laughs> stay little. So, so this is pretty funny. This is from 1985. This was one of the newsletter articles that we did. And this was showing uh, this three month old filly. And they were, uh, I think it's, I'm sure she's Welsh and, uh, and working a little bit with uh, her mother of going over some of the elements. And um, you can see that the, um, uh, like the, on the picture on the left, because the handler's far enough forward, the filly can really lower her head and use her back and, and neck and so on. And on the photo on the right, the handler's a little bit back. And so it, it changes how she can go over poles. So our position and our handling position and what we do is everything actually in terms of the response for the, for the foal. Well, and it's interesting because she looks like she's mirroring him in so many ways there. Yeah, totally, totally. Then that makes a difference. And of course the mother, I think they probably started with the mother going over it first and, and then um, they went across the bridge and he's got just a little, uh, like a little butt rope, not the whole catch rope. Cause we didn't use the, the figure eight at that point, I think, but we don't want pressure on the head. That's the point, you know, and that's the whole point of it. Now um, the bridge is really great for new surfaces, like loading in a trailer. I wouldn't use food like this today. <laughs> I wouldn't have probably used it then. If I'm going to use food, I'm not going to lure them with food. I'm going to put it down and let her have a little, little nibble as she goes along, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't draw her forward with food personally. And with fo- with foals, I have used, I, with really nervous foals, I will use some foods because I can get them to eat a bit. Um, I tend to use pretty low value food, if especially if they're fairly comfortable, like hay or maybe a bit of grass, something, but not something too high value because I don't want them to get frustrated and in terms of their response to things. So this was just a two-year-old. So we... Um, well, when we had a lot of foals too, we always did starting young horse uh, clinics here. And one of the first things is to just start with a grooming session. And this filly, oh, had been bought by a very well-meaning family as a yearling and had been, you know, in a group, they bring her to a barn. And the first thing they want to do is give her a bath. Well, she didn't have a clue of what having a bath was about. And she really, really panicked. And then she started to be aggressive to them in the pasture but it was just I think she was just afraid because she was never a problem when she she came to our place to be sold um we just paid attention to her you know when she was concerned we just paused and and then um she was she was really really lovely foal so um and there's a lot of people around her here but we're just quietly you know part of the course of quietly handling her so I had to add this one this was also at the ranch and this was a um uh, he's three years old. He, we, we called him kind of a Frankenstein horse. He was a Arab Andalusian, uh, some kind of draft and one other thing cross. So he, he, 
he, and and at, at two, so the, the horses run, the horses at the ranch run on, you know, a thousand acres and it's pretty rocky. So they generally wear their feet down. And when they're two, they have their, they come in and the, they're, they're handled kind of once a year to do basic things with them, but they're not afraid of people. Like they're, they're really not afraid at all. So the farrier took him into the place they normally do. And, um, I'm sure that he probably somehow, you know, attached him to something and he just panicked and he's a big horse. So he was like, he couldn't be done anyway. So he, you'll see his feet in a minute, terrible feet. So we were uh, at the ranch and Linda was there, was there with me at this course as well. And um, we were talking about, she said, you know, years and years ago, we had this Hungarian stallion come to us and he was really, really difficult. And our farrier laid him down you know, as people will do sometimes with horses, quietly laid him down, did his feet, and then he was okay. And I said, well, we're not going to do that. That's not something I would do. We come out the next day to the, this is the pen they stay in during the day. They're grazing at night. This horse is lying down right in front of the fence, of the, of the gate. So I go in just to see what he does. And I start doing some touch. He's just lying down. He looks like he's dead. He's not. He's like just lying there. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> and he was lying there and he's, and he's not tranquilized. And so I did some touch on him. I just shortened the number of pictures. And then I thought, well, look at while he's lying down, what if we could take the nippers and let him have the feeling of what the nippers would feel like, right? And so Mandy was with me and these are terrible nippers. They're so, so old. But um, so he's lying down flat. So he, he kind of gets up onto his chest as we're doing that. And I'm just, nothing's keeping him there. And, but he's kind of looking around. <laughs> he's sort of interested in, you know, what Mandy's doing. At one point, he came up like that, and then he laid flat again. So he clearly wasn't concerned about what we were doing. And uh, so then he did stand up. And um, so then I had this idea, well, maybe if he didn't have to pick his feet up to start with, and we put a foot on a board, and then we could at least get the feet trimmed, just to get get them sort of out of there. So we did that, we got a a, a little bit there. And then we happened to have a barefoot trimmer who was on the course, which was really handy. So we put a body rope in this case because that we could balance him with that without having contact on his head. And that was such an important thing. If anybody had contact on his head, he was much, much, he was had such poor balance that it just threw a lot of balance. Three, three. Yeah, he's three. He's cute. Exactly. So can you imagine this horse like? freaking out not a good not a good thing and he's he's really solid so we found places that he enjoyed to be scratched in this case because his feet are also heavy uh, mandy did it this is how they do it in iceland in lots of places in europe one person holds the foot the other person trims Mm -hmm. this is where your hoof jack really helps for sure this horse would have so benefited from standing on surefoot pads i think the surefoot pads would have changed this horse a hundred percent because like even the wooden board, he'd stand on that. No problem. And, and I think it would have made such a difference to his balance. So, um, so these are his feet before. Yeah. They're not good. Not good. Right. And this is the horse that runs on, on, uh, you know, uh, stones, the drafty feet, drafty feet. And that's a foot after. So that's a lot better than, than before. So that was all we thought, well, if we can get those, you know, pointy edges off and we can get, uh, you know, at least change something, he had a big crack in his foot. Yeah. So it's, it's a better looking foot than, 
than the other one. So he taught us a lot because we had to completely think outside the box about what we were going to do with this horse. Cause, um, you know, it was, a uh, it was quite, anyway, it was quite, it was fun. It was fun to do it. So here's the two-year-old again, and we wanted to prepare her for trailing. She'd been in a trailer, but we wanted to change her experience. So we just chunked down the exercises for them. And one of the things that I started doing about six years ago, when, and I started this in Australia, I had uh, four young Icelandics came to a course. They'd never been off the farm where, where they were raised, and they'd never been in an indoor space. So we were in an indoor arena. So I... I let them all go together in the indoor arena freely. And I let them wander around for about 20 minutes. And at first they moved like a school of fish. They were right together as Icelandics will do. And then they started to peel off and, and explore the environment. So I do that at my, at my farm when we're starting our young horses or when we have outside horses, we let them come into the arena and with, you know, nothing on them, maybe a halter, but we let them go freely and explore their, their environment. And I think that's such an important thing that we don't do with horses. We don't necessarily let them freely explore the areas that we're going to work with them. And I started doing that at Bitterroot too. And it made a huge difference because they were being taken away from the only thing they knew. Mm -hmm. And, and so that was, you know, that was really helpful. So we make all kinds of elements. We make it easy. We make it as wide as we, you know, to make it comfortable and to make them successful. This little car wash, we can make it so there's nothing hanging down. Um, and when we do go to walking across things, we're going to stop them. I might, I might put something on it for them to eat, but not so that they had to stretch to get on it and then bring them over. And then we do this, you know, step-by-step -step preparation. We, we ground drive them. Um, we have them go under things and over things and stand above them and lean over them. And like all the things that they would be expected to do, because it's interesting that, you know, lots of horses were on the ground and then suddenly we're on their backs and that having something above their eye level is really important for horses to get um, to get comfortable with. Uh, this lower right picture is at, at Bitterroot. And uh, in this case, we decided to just get on this horse bareback and on and off. And some horses will do that. And some horses we start with the saddle kind of depends. I, I kind of like it. I like the idea that they can, you can just get on and off them bareback so that they have the feeling of, you know, the legs around them and so on. It, it does depend on the horse. And but, the person. And the person. Well, so, uh, of course. And that's the thing is you don't want to be getting on young horses if you're not comfortable. That's, you know, you, you have to be experienced for the mounting process, but you can do everything else. You know, it's like you can you can prepare your horse by uh, and if you go through all these steps with them, I think that if you do then send them off to a trainer, then I think that it, they're going to be so much further ahead. Um, it's. It's really, um, then that's where I've used, I mean, when my daughter was young too, I'd throw her up on, <laughs> on the young horses and slide her off because you can actually just get them off. But I don't do it unless I'm pretty darn sure that the horse is going to be okay. And you can tell that when you lean over them and, you know, when you're just, when you're just kind of standing beside them and, um, and so on. So it was really, um, it should be as interesting as watching paint dry. You made that comment in the beginning. It should be boring as far as I'm concerned 
to watch horses get started. And the first 10 rides are the easiest. That's, it's like five to 10 rides. And sometimes the horses will start to go, hang on a minute, why are we doing this? <laughs> and because, you know, they're, they're probably a little bit sore, like they're going to be, as you say, horses actually aren't really structurally meant to carry riders in terms of they have to be able to hold themselves in a certain posture for it to be comfortable. Um, most of our young horses, because we start them inside and then we get them out on baby trail rides and then in, you know, sort of like longer areas and so on. And the only problem we've had with a few of them is we'll start to go out, we'll go part way and we'll want to turn around to go back. And they don't want to turn around. They want to keep going <laughs> because it's fun. <laughs> and, you know, if, if you can't, if you're, if you start a horse or you're working with a horse and they start to get harder to catch, as opposed to easier to catch, you need to look at something. There's, there's a reason, you know, I, horses, horses, um, their behavior is a form of communication. And we have to really, really look at that. So we always, you know, say to people, chunk it down to make it so that you and the animal can be successful. Give a lot of pauses so that they can digest and integrate the information. It's only in the pause. And see, I think that actually the surefoots give pause, even yes. though it's active, but there's a, there's a moment of just being, which is so important. But there's also the moment very often when they step off, that's, that's another pause. Right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And remember that the, the, you know, the journey is more important than the destination. And it's the journey that you take is going to determine in a lot of, you know, cases that the destination of, of where you go and how you get there. So it's, um, it's, it's a lot of fun. And I think you need to be, you know, really mindful. Now I added, you had asked me about the labyrinth. So I just added a few slides about the labyrinth because this is a great tool. And actually one of the things I didn't mention about the young horses is we set up a pattern of elements. So it might be a labyrinth. There might be what we use this double triangle that we use. Um, it could be a fan, whatever it happens to be, whatever the horse can do quite easily make a pattern through that, through those elements so that when you're adding anything new, it changes the context. So if you add, uh, in our case, we might add a body wrap, that's going to change the context of how they move through something over something around something. When you add a person on the second side, which we often do, that's going to change the context. If you add a saddle, oh my gosh, that changes the context and changes the balance tremendously. So if they have something predictable to do, it helps, it helps, they're more, it's easily um, integrated the new experience. But if you're changing so many things at once, you see it like you go into the labyrinth. Oh, yeah, I know the labyrinth. It's predictable. I know that I'm going to, you know, go around this corner or I'm going to stop before here or whatever it is. And that predictability, I think, is really important for horses to feel safe. You know, Robin, this I've been recently listening to The Power of Habits, <laughs> right? A book. Mm -hmm. And he talks about the cue, the routine and the reward or the payoff. And to change a habit, you don't change the cue and you don't change the payoff, you change the routine. But this is the reverse. The labyrinth is the routine. Yeah. So if you change the cue, but you run a routine there, the payoff is going to be the same. You've just 
said, okay, here's a cue now, a saddle on your back, but we're still going to do the labyrinth, the route. Right. So I, yep. you know, in that, in that context, by maintaining that consistency, you can change the initial thing, but then they go, oh, I know this. Exactly. I can exactly. Be successful. I understand. Yeah. Yep. Like yep. with perfect pads, I always tell people to do them by themselves first before you add something else with them so that that they know that thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. Rather than, yeah, no, I, I agree a hundred percent. And of course, so with the labyrinth, if you're going to use the labyrinth with a rider, you need to make it huge. Yes. Because the, 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 or, or change it, make it into a zigzag pattern so that there's more gentle turns because it's really difficult for a lot of horses to make those turns when they're carrying a rider and so on. So that's um, something that's interesting. Now this I thought was so interesting. So I don't know if you ever met Erica Hall, Wendy, I don't know. She was oh. a long time in, in uh, long ago. She was involved with, uh, with the world. So she made, she took a cow through the labyrinth because she found it was really helpful. And she made this giant labyrinth out of, she did they're they're called plywood cores. So they're like about um, maybe three inch in diameter um, posts that come the center of when they make it from trees, when they're making plywood and she cut them and she attached them uh, like two or three together with rope so she could bend the labyrinth. Isn't that amazing? Wow. <laughs> so I thought that was, I thought that was very, very cool. So, uh, and of course the one above is a, is a real labyrinth. And you know, one of the reasons that labyrinths are important is that they, you know, what they say the Greeks said about labyrinths is that you go in with a question and you come out with an answer. Mm-hmm. And, and there is something about the, the meditative value of doing something mindfully where you're really thinking about what you're doing and, and, and so on um, that is important. Um, I know we're kind of going a long time here. I want to say one thing about, about picking a trainer. Oh. And, and I did a, you know, and this is actually uh, the same in a way of picking a riding instructor is go and watch them work with a horse, see how they interact, see how they interact when things don't work. Because things, when things aren't going well, it's more important to see how someone deals with things than when things are going well, it's easy to be nice. So you want to be able to watch them. Um, I understand that barns will have, you know, rules and so on, but if somebody doesn't want to let you watch them work with your horse, I personally, I would say no, because you are an advocate for your horse. You are the only person who will advocate for your horse and it's your, it's your job. And I've had so many people say, well, I just didn't know. Well, that's your job. Sorry. But to make sure that, you know, know. I add to that, that if your horse is in training and they tell you what time they're going to ride, show up different yeah. times earlier. Yeah. Um, you know, I worked for someone, this is a very long time ago. And um, one day somebody wanted to come back and watch, but it turned out she was using a hose in her training. And I didn't know that she did this because it was typically not when I was around, but yeah. it, you know, it, I will never get that memory out of my head of um, yeah. using a piece of garden hose. Yeah. And so it's just, even if it's, it's so, and the other thing I'm going to say is, and Robin, I'm sure you, we're not perfect. No. You know, as 
we work really hard to be the best person we can be, but on any given day, sometimes we're not that best person. We would be our best person if we walked away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, you know, it's, and so that's also important too, to see, you know, can they pause? Can the person pause? Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that's, and that's why, you know, it's like when things are going well, it's easy to be nice. And, but when things don't go well, you know, that old saying, when, when knowledge ends, violence begins. Yes. And it's just yes. because we get frustrated and it can happen to every person. And I, listen, I've, I've had times in my life that if I can look back and if I would could say, wow, if I only knew then what I know now, I would do things in a different way. Right. And, and I think that when people can at least say that, it means that they're on some path of, you know, progression, if you will, or being able to recognize that. See, I think you can always make everything better. And all you have to do is look at your progression of the surefoot pads. And I've seen people say, well, how do you, you know, how did you come up with so many pads? Well, because different things work for different situations. And there is that, you know, nothing works for every situation. And so having more choice Yep. means that you can be more successful. Yep. I think, I think that's, I think that's really, um, it's really important. And is it easy? No, no, it's not easy. It isn't because especially, and if, if you do take your horse to a trainer, make sure that you have a reasonable expectation of what they can achieve. You know, also, also I think that's right. important. Well, and the flip side of that is when they say your horse needs another 60, 90, 180 days, they're not saying that you, you have to, discern are they saying that to just take your money which some people will yeah are they saying that to be the advocate for the horse yep yeah and you have to parse that it's there's not a straight answer but if no. if they're a kind person and they're going to tell you they need more time they're trying to make a better horse for you and if you insist that they keep it to the that has to be there for this 90 days you've set that trainer up to use techniques that you don't want them to use yeah totally and and maybe maybe depending on the distance from your home, maybe the horse needs a break. Like, yeah. uh, you know, I, I think if you sent your horse somewhere and they said, okay, I'm going to send my horse here for whatever number of days it is. And then we're going to give this horse a break for two or three weeks. Cause what I've always found is that they, if you do give them that break, if they've learned something, they'll come back better than when they ended. Yes. And that's when we're doing lessons, like with neckline driving or ground driving, it's what I look to sort of my barometer is, can I start where we ended or do I, how far back do I have to go in the lesson to repeat it in terms of whether they really got it? Because the second and third time you do something with an animal will tell you what the first time was probably like. You know, lots of them, like getting in a trailer is a perfect example. They get in a trailer, lots of them just kind of, you know, they're kind of trusting they get in and then they have a terrible ride. So then, or they really lose their balance and whatever the next time and the next time are going to, they're going to be more hesitant to do it. And that's, I see that with, with lots of things with the farrier. And I'm, I am so blessed that I've had such great farriers over the last uh, 30 years that we've been here where they're just patient with the horses, but they know that we don't expect them to train our horses. And that was the first thing I said to, he was our farrier for 30 years. And I said, look at if the horse is difficult, because we used to get a lot of horses from Iceland and they were not very easy with their feet you don't have to do them today. You know what? We'll work with the horse to make sure that they are balanced. They can pick up their feet. And so he, of course, he loved coming here because yeah. 
he could stay safe, the horses would be safe and, and so on. So there's, we have a responsibility and we also have a response. We have an advocate for our horses and we have a responsibility to, um, to be fair to the, you know, person that we're working with and, and vice versa. Right. And I think uh, it comes a lot of times, you know, they're so individual, but if you find yourself uncomfortable, if you, your gut is starting to boil, you need to really start digging, asking questions, finding out what's going on. Yeah. Is, does this horse need a break? Is this horse with the wrong trainer? Is something off? Um, It should be a, a pleasant and uh, interesting and learn fun learning experience. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And it's not, it's not always easy for, you know, I, I, I really do get that. It's not easy being a horse trainer because then you have to send the horse might be fine for you. And that's again, one of the problems of these trainers challenges, if you have really good timing, you're super experienced, you can get horses to do all sorts of things just because you have great timing. You can, you know, you totally know how to read the horse, even when you don't know that you're reading that because you're so experienced, but that doesn't mean that the horse really knows it or that someone else is going to be able to um, replicate that. And, and that's the, I mean, that's a challenge for the trainers as well is, you know, can you make a horse that someone else can ride? And that's, you know, that, that, that's that's a very big question. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I know someone, she's a trainer, but she's, she had a stroke. So her horses have a long time, quite a while ago, and she's working and her riding has gotten a whole lot better, but her horses have to be able to tolerate the fact that her two sides are really different and it makes for good horses Yeah, because she can't skip letters and they need to be um, tolerant when the message isn't quite right. For sure. For sure. That like the more precise a trainer is, the harder it is for someone else to ride them well. No, uh, no, absolutely. And I, I mean, I can remember that when I, I was uh, in California and I got this really nice young uh, thoroughbred, beautiful horse. And um, he was, oh, if I only knew then, but I know now, <laughs> oh my God, oh. And he would have, yeah, anyway, it was, and I could ride him really well and I could ride him and it was really good, but it wasn't easy for other people because the horse was also so used to what I did. And that's, that is the other thing. And, um, and it's, so that's where it's fun. Sometimes having kids, like my kids always rode the horses and doesn't mean an adult can ride them because a kid can, because they're, you know what I mean? They just got to go on, but they get used to things, not being, not being perfect. And, um, you don't, I don't want to purposely not be perfect, but it's, um, you know, so um, Robin asked about any books on material about starting a horse. Well, um, actually, Linda and my daughter published a book last year with Trafalgar called Starting and Restarting Young Horses, I think. I don't I should have had a copy of the book. And it's great. It goes through step by step by step, whether it's a young horse or or an older horse. again is, you know, if something isn't working, do something else. The horse may not be, be ready for it. But when I, I've had horses that, and this is what Mandy used to do at Bitterroot, the horses would have a, like a week off after we did the, the work, work with them. And then she, they had a big arena at a place, some, you know, farther away from where we were working. She'd bring all the horses there and they would all stand in these little pens watching her work each horse. And just, and she didn't work them for long. And she said, you know, 
the horses would just learn by watching the other horses and she just do a little bit with them, put them back, do a little bit more. So they had their friends there. That's a huge advantage for them feeling safe in a new space. And, um, and she said that that little break for them too allowed that integration of the information. And that was really important. Right. Really you know, important. Right, the bottom line is that all that we're learning about the brain and we're learning about learning with people applies to dogs and horses. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, and I think that that the comforting thing is that as we understand more about how we learn, we can just simply take that model and and put it on the horses. And if you've ever struggled with learning something new or felt insecure about something or, you know, uh, had a rough patch, you can relate to your horse. They're going yeah. through the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And trust, you know, trust yourself. Like it, just as you were saying earlier, if you don't feel right about it, do your best not to be bullied because you know what? Sure. We all have different opinions and different experiences, but if your gut says to you, cause that that's my, you know, my five things that I say to people, you're watching anybody work is what they're saying and what they're doing the same thing. Okay. And it doesn't mean that they're trying to trick you because sometimes they just don't know that it's this thing they're doing. That's actually having the influence. The second thing is if you were in the horse's hooves, what might you be learning? And I like sometimes I watch people and they're saying, and I have no idea what the, the animal is supposed to be learning. I really don't. The third thing is, how does it feel to you in your gut and in your heart? Because if it doesn't feel okay to you in your gut and in your heart, the fourth thing will come into play. And that is, could you do it? And that's, could you do it from an emotional state? Do you have the skills to do it? If, if it doesn't feel right to you, even if you, even if you like pretend that you know what you're doing, the horse knows. The horse is like, don't know what's happened to you today. So that's really important. And then the fifth one is, you know, what do they do when what they're doing doesn't work? And that's that if you put that through a critical sieve, that, you know, makes a huge difference um, to what we're doing. You could put the... Um, if you are in uh, the US, ttouch.com has the book uh, that Robin was just asking that. If you're, yeah, if you're in Canada, you can get it from ttouch.ca, but if you're in the States, ttouch.com um, has, the, has the book. And uh, I believe that the book comes also with your choice of a video on either the groundwork that we do or work under saddle. So that, that's uh, where you could where you could do that. So I forgot about the book. It's a terrible thing to say, but you know, we have so many books and we're just doing an online course on starting young horses too. I just did a, oh, awesome. did a I just did the videos for the neckline driving and the, um, and, and ground driving. So people can go through the steps of that, but it's, you know what the process that is. Yes, <laughs> that, yes, I'm still, I'm anyway. still working on it. I'm yeah. So anyway, for the rest of my life. Yeah. So cool. Well, I'm uh, it was so much fun to be here, Wendy. Yeah, no, it's always a pleasure, Robin. And you always remind me, like your little questions there, you always remind me of things that, you know, I need to keep in perspective in my own daily life because, you know, you, you can get bogged down, not not just with horses, but just with, what, you know, what's going on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Trying, trying to keep that, you know, keep on the track and um, not take it to the barn when I go there. Yeah, um, for sure. For sure. That's always the, of course, my guys are um, older, but it's just, it's, um, yeah, it's being fair to them. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Advocate, you know, advocating for your animals, dogs, horses, it doesn't matter what it is. Advocate for yourself. That's the other thing. Yeah. <laughs> Can I advocate for myself with my cat who comes in and jumps over me and <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> uh, actually, uh, Robin just said something about you wish it would make it to the racetrack. Yes. You know, interesting. Uh, some of the exercises that we do, I've worked with racehorses that were, you know, banned from tracks or whatever, like some of the, that couldn't go in uh, starting gates and, and so on. All these exercises, as Wendy said in the beginning, this is like the ABCs of, of learning. And it doesn't matter what discipline you're going to do and so on. It's really, if you give them the foundation, this is about education versus training. Yes. And, and, and I, I see them as two quite different things. If you give them a basis of, of a good education, then where, whatever direction you take them, there's more choice and they have, um, they have the ability to learn. And that's the other thing, teaching animals how to learn is, is, is really important. And so, um, yeah, and it's fun, you know what, having a lot of choice and, and it's, it's not always easy because we have to take some responsibility. Um, but I, I love it. I will always keep learning. And, and that was where, you know, it's, it's, it was so much fun when we had time to spend together, when we traveled together before COVID, that was a great time, Wendy. So we've got to go back to yeah. Hobbiton. I dream about it. <laughs> I know. I know. You know, I, I don't plan on traveling very much anymore, but I do want to go back to New Zealand, but I can't, and I'll go back to Australia. There's a few places I'll go, but not many. Okay. Let me know when you're going. <laughs> okay. I will. All right. All right. Hey, thanks, Wendy. You're welcome. Great to see you, Robin. See you later. Okay. Okay. I'll see you on Saturday. Okay. Oh, yeah. Bye. Bye, everybody. Yeah. See you next Bye. Week. Thank you for coming. Bye. Bye.